Uh, thank you guys for letting me be here tonight. Um, I thought we had like five more songs to play before. Uh, I didn't know we only do two. Um, but again, uh, it really is an honor to be here. Uh, Jeremy and Trevor have been definitely influential in my life and, and just kind of, you know, telling us what it, what it looks like to live the gospel out and what it looks like to, um, to follow Christ without any reservation. So with that being said, um, have you guys ever been, for some of you MTSU students, ever been on the college campus or for anybody else ever been out there and heard one of these, uh, one of these street preachers basically raining down condemnation on anybody? Um, I know that when I was, my time at MTSU, you know, we had a few of those people. They come by and, and they basically exist just to say, all right, you're going to hell. And I'm like, okay, is that really the best way to do it? But, um, you know, the message is usually the end is near type of things. Um, but not all of them. And I'll say this, not all of these guys preach craziness. Not all of them are preaching this type of condemnation. But some of them do. And that's a horrible experience for us to have. Um, it's a horrible experience for us to be a part of. And um, one of these people that I always think of, or kind of when we think about these street preachers, are the Westboro Baptist people. Um, if you have any contact or heard, ever seen these guys, they're the ones who show up to the funerals um, of, of fallen soldiers. They're the ones that show up to um, different gay pride parades. Um, basically, any event that's going to get them publicity. To them, there's really no such thing as bad publicity. Um, and their message is we're all out of luck, all of us. There, there's nobody that's done it right. There's nobody, um, there's nobody that's ever going to do it right. And this is not characteristic of grace and truth. It's not characteristic of what Jesus is. It's not characteristic of what we want to be here at City Church. Um, and it's not characteristic of what Paul says. And, and holding up a sign that says God hates such and such and it doesn't necessarily say such and such. I just refuse to... I just kind of refuse to say what the signs read. And, but it's no way for us to do um, what Paul says in Colossians 4 or 5 when he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. And again, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So after reading that verse, you're pretty much thinking this is the exact opposite of what the Westboro Baptist people are doing, or the hate-filled preacher you know, on the side of the street or on the corner of MTSU that I've heard and I'm sure you've heard. It's, that's, that's no way for us to do that. But it is, that verse is an answer to a question that we have, is how do we make the gospel, the mystery of Christ, clear? How do we remove distractions from the gospel? Because Paul is saying here, let your actions and let your speech um, be of grace and truth. And our responses are not always going to be to the Westboro Baptist people or the, the hate-filled the preacher on the corner. That's not what we're always our responses are going to be to. Our answers could be to, a, to an honest question of a friend that's struggling with belief or going through any type of uh, suffering or a friend that's kind of got, is curious about what life is about. And holding a sign that, that reads, God hates, does not, does not do it. Or standing on our own little proverbial street, preaching you know, condemnation because we perceive ourselves as, as self-righteous, it doesn't work. It's actually caused many of us, including myself in this room, to, to flee from Christ. Those type of words have caused a lot of us to, to move away from any type of Christianity 
and, and, and that doesn't work. And it's not because we're running from Christ, but we're running from his people. The problem is we never take an account that our job is to make the mystery of Clark Christ clear. The gospel is beautiful, but people have to be able to see its beauty. Usually, we're the ones standing in front of people with a sign that obstructs that beauty. It obstructs the mystery of Christ. It, is, it obstructs the gospel from being seen. We're that annoying person that's standing in the front of the line, uh, you know, blocking everybody's view, and, and everybody behind us is just saying, hey, you down front. And, and we refuse to listen. We refuse to move because we feel like we've earned that spot in line. But we all know we haven't earned that. No one's earned their standing with God. So if we jump up a few verses where, tell, where, talk, where Paul talks about this idea of the mystery of the gospel, the mystery making it clear, he says in verse 2, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for also for us that God may open up a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul says, pray for my ministry. Pray for me and the situation I'm in. Pray that I make the clear the gospel of Christ, but also pray for yourselves. Pray to, for those opportunities to make clear the gospel. Paul says, okay, city church, pray in a way to remove distractions from the gospel. So we ask, okay, this is, this is what we're going to pray. But, but what is prayer? It kind of says, if you go to one of these commentaries, it'll say, prayer uh, should be with del- diligence, awareness, and thanks. And um, for me, being a Southern Seminary guy, my, my roots, my Southern Baptist roots, want to say, all right, let's do it like that. Let's, uh, but that's really not what we're talking about. It's not necessarily wrong, but I want to look at what prayer actually is for our lives. Because Christ called us more to just diligence, awareness, and thanks. He called us to die, to die to self, die to sin. Because he already died for those things. That's what the cross was, crying, Christ dying for what we could not do alone. So when it comes to prayer, we have to, I guess, before, before we can remove those distractions to the gospel, we have to remove ourselves through prayer. And D.L. Moody, an uh, evangelist back in the 1800s, um, tells a story about him visiting Scotland uh, and I chose the illustration because it was Scott in Scotland, and I love that. So, but he goes around. He goes around to all these different churches, different schools, and he uh, he sees a lad. And I'm going to use lad because that's the only time you can get away with with using lad is when you're talking about Scotland. Um, and I'm not going to do a Scottish accent, I don't think. Uh, but he asks he asks this uh, qu- question to all the, to the children. He goes, "What is prayer?" Rhetorical question, but. He noticed that all these, all these children raised their hands up, and they raised their hands up, and so he calls on this lad, and, and, here, and here's what he says. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ, by the help of his Spirit, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. All right, so let's give that lad a gold star. <laughs> I mean, we're in school. We can do that. Um, and th- this is a prepackaged answer. I mean, like for, for, I don't know how old the lad was, but I mean, that's, I'm going to keep saying it. But, you know, that's a prepackaged answer. I mean, 
But it's also, it's actually the answer to number 78 in the Westminster Catechism, which is a, a long list of, of doctrinal things. And, and Moody, he simply responded by saying, be thankful, son, that you were born in Scotland. And then he yelled freedom, because that's what all <laughs> Scottish people do. You can look that up. Um, the, point here, the point is, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God. That's the main meaning of prayer. With confession of our sins, with thankful acknowledgement of his mercies, they go along with these expressed desires. But the essence of prayer is the expression of our dependence upon God through request. We acknowledge that our feeble, dying bodies need God. We offer up our desires to him, confessing him that the time that our desires got the best of us, but also thinking that his mercies are still there. To remove the distractions, to move, remove distractions to the gospel, we have to recognize that sometimes we are the root of distraction. Sometimes our own desires get the best of us. Our own desires get in the way. Our pride gets in the way. Our self-righteousness gets in the way. And that's how we start to become the hate-filled preacher on the street. We become the teacher and, and Charlie Brown, you know, the ones that want, 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 want. You hear them saying something, you can't understand it, and you really don't want to listen. That's what we become. And here's something to think about when it comes to prayer and our role in this. As we people are at the center of giving God glory. Not angels, not creation, nor rocks. They did not get died for. Though we are at the center of showing the beauty of Christ, the center of giving God glory it still means that we escape from ourselves and rest in the fact of Christ's saving grace and truth. That calls us to humility, not to condemning speech on the corner of a street. We pray to preach the truth of Christ and grace. So this is more than just saying that we pray with diligence, awareness, and thanks. So when we read, we should continue steadfastly in prayers, it says in verse 2, it takes on a whole new meaning. We pray in a way that lifts our focus off ourselves and to the hope of Christ, to eternal purposes over those temporary pleasures. And Paul talks about this and kind of what we're supposed to be doing is we pray for those that are on the front lines. We pray like Paul was in jail there in the verse. And God's not called everyone to be in foreign missions or full-time ministry, but he has called each of us to lift each other in prayer. Because we're all soldiers, we're all held together through our dependence upon God and through our expression of that, which is prayer. Now, I like uh, Ephesians 6, is uh, kind of one of my favorite verses. And if you um, grew up in middle school, uh, grew up in church in middle school, there was always this poster that floated around where it had a picture of a Roman guard or a Russell Crowish gladiator. Um, and it always had, you know, the breast, and the, the scripture goes, you know, put on the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation the sword of the spirit. And it was, it was kind of an attempt for them to kind of relate to middle school boys and all that stuff. Um, so, but basically everything that held that soldier together, everything that held that piece of equipment that made sure that you were using the helmet, you were using the sword and all these things was prayer. Paul says, and it's kind of the parallel verse to what we're talking about in Colossians. It says, and it reads it, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be, may be given to me 
and opening my mouth to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which, which I am an ambassador in chains. He's in jail and here again, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Again, prayer is what held everything together. Every piece of armor, it's what held, which holds us together to be able to die for our king as a soldier. So we pray for the saints, both literally and figuratively, that are dying. We pray for opportunities to share the mystery of Christ, the same mystery that we were all saved to. You were saved to the fact that, that Christ died and has set you free. So we pray for those moments in our days that a door would open and we would share Christ. So we're wise about the situations we put ourselves in. We know what we're getting into. We pray for gospel clarity. We pray to remove those distractions that we would make it clear to the people that we walk among and that we would remove those distractions. So we make clear the gospel, the mystery of, of Christ by removing ourselves through the act of prayer. And the thing about prayer, and one last point, is that when we, we pray for these situations, when we pray for these open doors, when we pray for the clarity opportunities, we could, we could call them, we start to recognize those opportunities we prayed for. And we, we know how to act and when to act. There was one of my favorite, favorite preachers that I used to read. With, his name was Ichabod Spencer, and he lived by this one motto. And I think we could, we could live by that as well, is we aim to conspire with the Holy Spirit. And that, that's, that's prayer. We aim to live and conspire what the Spirit's already doing. And removing distractions means being wise and buying the time. And this is what Paul says and when, he, when, he, when he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. The best translation of this is, uh, is actually um, the Greek original translation. Who would have thought that that was the best one? But it is. Um, and he uses the term uh, when he says, make the use, best use of your time. Uh, he uses this word, this Greek word called esagazo karos. Now, if I sound Italian there, it's totally fine. Um, and esagazo basically means to buy back, to redeem the time. I think this is a great illustration. Not just make the best of it, but buy it back. I just want to give a shout out to Wikipedia on that one. Um, but this, this is really where we where God lets us have that time. Did I get the Wikipedia one? Uh, so this is where God lets us be an artist. This is where God allows us freedom to be able to, to, to paint that beautiful picture of who Christ is, to show others the beauty of Christ, because we live in the shadow of the cross. And when we believe that, it unleashes us to live in such a beautiful way. We go along with our lives, inviting people into them, living as it is not our own. We purchase every moment, placing ourselves in situations that allows us to share the, the mystery of Christ. We are as Paul was. He intentionally lived so that he could share Christ. Paul bought into it, and he's telling us to buy into it. He's telling us to buy back the time. And Paul did this. He was, um, every time he entered the city, anytime he went, he went on his missionary journeys and entered the city, um, he, as his custom, he always went to the synagogue, and um, he went to synagogue always on the Sabbath. Who's going to be any God, any good Jew is always going to be at the synagogue on the Sabbath. And this is what it says. This is what he did. Acts seventeen, uh, verses two through four. And Paul went in, as was his custom, 
And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And saying, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. And when he, when he preached that message, some of them were persuaded. And they joined along that message. They joined along buying the time and, 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 and being intentional with what they did. Now, one of the modern day stories of this is the old plain and preacher story. Now, I'll explain. I'll explain. Because you're like, plain and preacher, what's going to happen? Now, this is the, the modern day adaptation is, um, you know, you, you go, to a, go to a conference as a youth or go to anything. Um, there, a, a famous pastor was going to be at. And uh, on his plane ride there, if you're lucky, it happened on the plane ride to your conference. Um, and he would always sit down there and he would look across the aisle and he would say, man, that guy looks really familiar. Um, usually it would be somebody that's really relevant among hip and cool with people. And so, you know what? This pastor is going to be clever. He's going to redeem the time. He's going to redeem that kairos. So he's clever. And so he shares with the kids. He shares with, you know, I think I've heard it a few times. Um, He shares with us about sharing Christ. And there's not always a redemption story, but it's an example of how the guy noticed something and he saw the opportunity and he, and he, he prayed for it, I'm sure, but he also acted upon it. It's not always with us. We're not always going to sit. Next time you're on a flight, I mean, you can, you can test this. Next time on your flight, are you sitting next to a famous person? It's not always how it's going to be. Um, I mean, it's not how, I mean, I always sit next to famous people, first class. Um, and this is not how it's always going to be, but we are going to be sitting next to our coworker for the next year. We are going to be sitting next to, to a friend in school uh, or college the next semester for the next semester. Are we buying that time? Is that, is that how we're redeeming it? And this is what it means to live missionally. It's one of our, our plumb lines here, what it means to live missionally. It causes us to do things a little differently. We understand that that time's not ours. Our, law, our lives were bought with a price, and that, that price is Christ's blood. And we have that fortune, that fortune of Christ's blood, what it means, the value of it. Are we buying are we buying these times with Christ's blood? Are we being generous with who we are and what God has given generously to us with? A wise investor knows when a, when a, when a, good, when a deal is good. The time maybe will not come again. That's the one thing I think of is Warren Buffett. You know, we all have probably heard Warren Buffett. This guy could probably knock out our uh, national debt with one check. Um, but he, does, he, has, you know, he has a direct line into kind of what, fail, what fails and, and what succeeds. I mean, the guy, I mean, whatever he touches turns to gold. He's, uh, let's call him Midas or whatever. I think I just came up with that. I think so. But, you know, he spent time. He spent resources. He spent money. He's failed a few times, I'm sure. But he spent, he spent the effort to know what's good and what's bad. For us, it's maybe prayer. Prayer is maybe what, what helps us recognize those moments. Have you ever seen the stock market movies where, uh, you know, they're always in, they always wear like blazers. You ever notice that when they're on the stock exchange floor and it's like green or blue? And they're always going crazy, yelling, you know, buy, sell, buy, sell. 
Um, I think of that. You know, there's there no, no hesitation. Or if you work for Art Vandelay Industries, you're, uh, you're importing, exporting, mainly exporting. <laughs> Buying in the moment means being intentional with what we have, being intentional with our time. We know it works because we've thought it through. We've trained ourselves through prayer to recognize the moments that really need to be bought. So we invest time, resources, and ultimately ourselves. Paul says um, right after this, where he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. Paul says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you know how, how you ought to answer each person. So what does a life seasoned with salt look like? It's not covered in, you know, Lowry seasoning salt. It's not, that's not what we're talking about. It's not having a healthy diet of salt. But I saw one of these uh, window decals on the back of a truck the other day. It said salt life. Any of you guys ever seen those? Um, thank you. <laughs> and I actually thought when I saw it, Anderson's over here helping me out. When I, when I saw it, I was like, hey, this is pretty cool. This is have, you know, having to do with the verse you know, I'm going to be preaching on. Uh, so the next, uh, yeah, yeah, see, and so I, I, I looked it up when I got to the next red lot, I mean parking space, uh, I looked it up on my phone, I looked it up on my phone and basically it was for, it, apparently it's a surf company and I thought, well, wow, you know, Middle Tennessee has a lot of surfers around here. Um, but what does it mean to live one of these salt lives? What does it mean to have the decal on the back? I don't think they know, but anyways. But it's, it's really two-pronged when we looked at this verse. You know, let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt. Our words should be rooted in grace. It should be rooted in grace as this wonderful place that we live in. But also, our words should be gracious and attractive. And it's kind of the fruit and root. If, if, if we're not living in grace, if we're not breathing in grace, then our words aren't going to be of grace, and they're not going to be attractive. To be able to do this, we really need to enjoy the grace in which we stand on. It's hard to live it and talk about it if we don't love it. So we fall in love again and again. Earlier we talked about, about people being at the center of giving God glory, and when we understand that, it unleashes us. We have to go back to that. It's actually one reason why we always remind ourselves of the gospel, because we're always so prone to forget it. And when we remember it again, it unleashes us again to go out and live a, a salt life to, to redeem and buy back the time and, 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 and pray for it, to remove ourselves at us, out, out, of the, out of the situation. Jesus says in uh, Matthew five thirteen through 14, because you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So we, we come back to this salt life, um, this salt life idea, and I think of one thing when I think of salt: pretzels. I love pretzels. Anybody who knows me knows that I love rolled gold. Um, so I'm expecting a whole bunch of rolled gold like endorsement now. Um, but it, you know, to me, salt makes things better. It enhances the flavor. 
uh, makes food better, brings out the best, but it does make you thirsty. These pretzels are making me thirsty. (laughs) So I ask as we live our lives, are we doing these things? Are we making the relationships we are in better? Are we bringing out the best in people? Now, I'm not encouraging nor endorsing your best life now, but I am saying the gospel says go do this because of what Christ has done. Are we making people thirsty for much more than just ourselves? Are our lives directing them to God? When they interact with us, do they leave saying that tasted good? I want more of it. And they come back and they want more. Are we buying into those situations? Are we buying into it because we prayed for it? There's no real substitute for salt. You can't fake that. If we're not tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, then, no, then they will never. If we're not tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, then no one else will ever. And that's what it means to live a life seasoned with salt. I've rarely heard of somebody, um, or rarely heard of the obnoxious street preacher leaving a good taste in someone's mouth. I don't leave from the presence of Westboro Baptist and think, man, that tasted really good. I want more of it. I mean, I guess it can happen. I don't know. But my reaction is probably the same as yours. You want nothing of it. To me, these situations are like Brussels sprouts. I don't think I've actually ever had a Brussels sprout. So, but, you know, you always see in the movies, parents say they're good. Um, they don't really look good. I don't think they taste good. Like I said, I've never had one. So, because I didn't really, they didn't look good. So, but you never eat those and you never hear, you never see in the movies the, the kids coming up, please, sir, I want some more. They never do that. And if you do, if you have seen that, then disregard the whole illustration. So, you know, are they good? I don't know. But, but living that salt life and, and buying our time and, and, and this act of prayer, making the, the gospel clear, it's all fleshed out. And we're going to go back to Colossians 2 and just read it through there and flesh it out. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with, thanks, with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We live in such a way that we know how to answer each person. We open our lives up to people. We get to know them. That's where we buy into it. We begin to love them because Christ loved them. We aim to conspire with the Spirit through prayer. We invest intentionally in people. We live a life that makes them thirsty. We get to know them so that we can make clear the mystery of the gospel. We remove the distraction from the gospel by being in relationship with them. That's how we answer, make an answer to, to, to each person. And this is the inherent flaw of people like Westboro, people that, that raise the signs. A sign speaks to, to hundreds of people. 
It speaks to with a with a mass message, but it has no connection or intimacy of that person's situation. But when we know exactly what to say to that one individual that's struggling, that's suffering, that's questioning, we get to speak truth with grace, and they're more apt to listen. So, so what is wise? What is salty? What removes ourself from the circumstance and makes Jesus the hero? Being able to speak grace and truth into a person is. Allowing someone into your life so that you know exactly what to remove so they can hear the gospel clearly. That's what pays great dividends for the wise investor. Pay, it to the, pay attention to the people in your life. Pray and then listen to what they're saying. And this verse, Colossians, uh, Colossians 5 and 6, is kind of our verse for uh, First Impressions team here at City Church. And our motto, you've heard it before here tonight, is to remove distractions from the gospel. We believe that, that God loves people, and so do we. We want to see people come to, come to Christ, acknowledging them, Him as their source of life, and that, they're, and that they're willing to die for them. And for the best way for us to do that is be intentional with everyone we meet. We buy into it. We want to see people come into relationship with Christ, but just as much, we want to see, him, we want to see His people See them come into relationship with his people. And that's why we have people greeting um, at the door. That's why we preach the sermon starts in the parking lot. If a person feels uncomfortable when they enter, we want to make them comfortable so they don't feel out of place. And that the gospel may be made clear to them. We recognize that people are hurting. And for me to come up then with condemnation, with a sign or, or, or any, other, any other thing only adds to the hurt and it clouds their vision from being able to hear the gospel, see the gospel, which is the only thing that could heal them. The gospel, the fact that Christ came to a dead and hurting world and Satan tries, Satan tries to steal, Christ came so that we could have this life more abundant, that we could have joy. We, be, we believe in preaching the mystery of Christ, but just as much we believe in living in a way that people ask what is different about us. Peter, Peter talks exactly like Paul in this one. We're in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So we answer in grace and truth. We don't do it with a sign that says God hates. We don't do it with, with any, of, any words of condemnation. We do it with grace and truth. And we're able to remove distractions from the gospel to make it clear to people because we admit ourselves we're there. We are able to speak grace and truth to people or live as grace and truth to people because that's what Christ is to us. Christ is grace and truth to us. The mystery of Christ is the truth we declare. And the way in which we speak grace is how we make it clear. So if the gospel has never been made clear to you, if it's never been spoken with gracious words or living, if what you were used to hearing condemnation from self-righteous people, you are not hearing the gospel in grace and truth. 
you are not hearing what the gospel really says. Yes, Romans 5.8 says that, that we're sinners, but the beauty we want you to see is that while we're still in that state, in that state while we're still in less than perfect condition, Jesus, who is perfection, came and died for you, came and died for me. And that's the mystery we declare, this beautiful gospel that, 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 that God would come for us in the state that we're in, and, and he would die for us. And that's the beautiful message we want to get out of the way of. Because we believe at City Church, if you see that, if you hear that, it will change your life. We want to be a church that puts the gospel in front of ourselves so that it's the first thing you see and it's the first thing you hear from us. So we pray for grace and truth to be evident in our lives as a church, as members of community groups, so that others may experience the grace and truth in which Jesus is. Let's pray. Father God, we, um, we come to you humbly, Lord, to, um, to realize that we are, that we're sinners, and that, Lord, that we're not perfect, and we're not, that, that we, we never made our own way, and Lord, in, in understanding and realizing that, Father, it, it leads us not to be the person on the street or the people with a sign. It, it leads us not to be that, but it leads us to be humble and humility and realize who is the life giver. And so, Father, we pray that we, would, um, that we would make the best use of our time, that we would buy that back because we understand our lives have been bought with a price. And we pray that we would, um, or that we would just express our dependence on you. Lord, I thank you for City Church. I thank you for the pastors here. Thank you for everybody here, Lord, that, that's, that's, um, Lord, that's been receptive of the gospel, that, that pours the gospel back into me. Um, we have to be that people. We have to be that people not to preach hate, but the love of God and the grace of God and the truth of God. So I pray that we would be grace and truth and we would live as grace and truth because ultimately that's what you are to us. We ask this in your name. Amen.